Hello and welcome to Women of the Middle East podcast. This podcast relates the realities of Arab women and their rich and diverse experiences. It aims to present the multiplicity of their voices and wishes to break overdue cultural stereotypes about women of the Middle East. Season 5 is a collaboration between Musawa and Women of the Middle East podcast. As we will be discussing Musawa's latest book, Justice and Beauty in Muslim Marriage, Towards Egalitarian Ethics and Laws, published by One World Academic in December of 2022. My name is Amal Malki, I'm a feminist, scholar, and an educator. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Hello and welcome to season five of Women of the Middle East podcast. This season is dedicated to discussing the groundbreaking book, Justice and Beauty in Muslim Marriage. We begin with the first section of the book titled The Quran. This section is made up of three chapters. Authors of these chapters argue for moving beyond pre-modern interpretations of the Qur'an that perpetuate patriarchal ethics and instead emphasize centering the Qur'anic ethical worldview of justice, beauty, and goodness in line with the realities of the 21st century. We are very lucky to have two of the authors who contributed to this section, Dr. Umayma Abu Bakr and Noor Rufia. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. I would like to begin by asking you about your contribution and the importance of your contribution to this book in terms of both um, professional, of course, growth, but also personal reasoning, uh, given that you're both Muslim women who've, uh, of course, been a part of that context that perpetuates um, the inferiority of women and, and marriages in Islam. Dr. Umayma, shall we begin with you? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Thank you. This is a very good question indeed because uh, I think I speak for, uh, first of all, my, my two colleagues in the chapter, uh, Dr. Asma Ramrabit and Dr. Mulki Shermani, also the others. And you put it rightly when you said it was both professional and a personal project as well. Uh, it was a professional because this is an academic research that you know, we all worked on and researched and wrote and analyzed. But we all have, most of us, have a personal investment also in the topic. We we are, after all, Muslim women and and this is our cause. So it was also important to us personally and spiritually to to sort these things out during during the writing process. Definitely. And Noor, you're a scholar, but also an activist. Tell me, how important was this project for you? Yes, uh, this project for me is uh, like a part of a life journey because uh, I know Musawa very well. And also I have involved in Musawa's other project like research on Kiwama and Wilaya as two key concepts of gender relation in Muslim family and also in Musawa knowledge building course. I even believe that Musawa has given a big impact to women's hakiki justice uh, concept that I use in this book. So uh, I saw this project as an opportunity to examine my ability to use women's hakiki justice to unlearn the old concept of marriage in Muslim societies, uh, which is gender bias, and to uh, relearn the new concept of marriage in Islam, which must be just to women as wife, mothers, daughters, and others in a Muslim family. 
دكتور أميمة، the chapter you contributed to is Quranic ethics of marriage. This chapter sets an overarching Quranic interpretation framework for marriage consisting of interconnected ethical principles. Can you tell us more about the main points of, of this chapter? We try to begin with outlining um, a specific methodology in addressing the verses on marriage and divorce, but not just the verses, it's the whole Quranic true, what we believe is true Quranic vision of marriage, as Dr. Noor was saying, to undo Uh, perhaps uh, decades and centuries of understanding marriage as a hierarchical system, right? As a hierarchy. We tried to, to first to point out the gaps that we saw in classical tafsir tradition and then put forth our methodology, which is really based on two important things, on more of a holistic uh, approach. In other words, tying the verses together, tying the surahs together, and not just the not just the individual uh, verses and, and, and the surahs here and there, but the reason we call it holistic because it's all interconnected. Holistic and ethical, that's the second pillar. What does it mean ethical? That we have to take seriously the Quranic ethical principles, the egalitarian ethos of the Quran, of, of justice and equality and non-hierarchical relations. We have to take these main ethical principles of the Qur'an seriously and apply them to gender relations, particularly in, in, in marriage. You have uncovered some important gaps in the classical tafsir tradition. Why was this holistic approach towards interpretation absent in that time period? Uh, why haven't we seen that through uh, the Mufassirin? back then yeah yeah uh, of course when we say the absence of uh, of a total comprehensive holistic approach we don't mean to to make a generalizations a generalization about that about that aspect because of course the mufassirin did a fantastic job in in, in everything and they were aware particularly linguistically and uh, also on the level of ahkam rulings of course they were aware of how all the verses are tied in a particular cause or or, or a subject uh, but we claim that when it came to gender this this vision of holism or this vision of applying principles to to understanding the ahkam wasn't really perfect right and that was the main gap and when it when it came to gender or you know the, the marriage and divorce ahkam uh, you were asking about what is the reason The main reason is, of course, the, the, the patriarchal culture and the patriarchal uh, uh, outlook that they all were part of. And this is not this is not their fault, right? They were just part of that age. Uh, they, they couldn't see, perhaps that's what we claim, egalitarian ethos of the Quran should have been taken seriously and should have been taken as an incentive to change uh, uh, societies. So that was that was part of it. That was part of the reason why they couldn't see that or apply that all the time. Definitely, and I truly believe that there were enlightened and more holistic interpretations uh, back then. But the dominant discourse that have reached us is one that has become the dominant, the mainstream, 
that feeds into specific agendas of patriarchy. What do you think? Do you agree with me? Yes, yes, of course. The uh, the, uh, the bias, of course, and uh, hierarchy. You know, there was this, this always the view that, well, men are better than women. Um, they have more capabilities. They're more rational. Uh, they're really addressed more by God subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, not not women, not females, and of course, Dr. Noor has a lot to say about that. About you know, that's not really the case at all. Women are part of humanity that Quran addresses, right? Uh, so, so you're you're right in in the sense that uh, this is one of the reasons why we still uh, struggle with some interpretations of uh, qiwama as authority, of uh, of ta'a as absolute obedience uh, to the husband because this is in return of the nafaqa. You know, all of these things that really need to be unpacked or unlearned, as Dr. <laughs> Noor was saying, we need to unlearn all these uh, concepts and, and think of them anew. Dr. Noor, um, so you've uh, authored a chapter called Reading the Quran Through Women's Experiences. The, the, the title is beautiful. And the chapter offers a holistic reading that recognizes women's underlying historical marginalization and physical experiences and charts a trajectory towards gender justice Tell me more about it. Women Hakiki Justice uh, starts from a belief that in Islam, women are full human. So it means that uh, women are also are not only physical, but also intellectual and spiritual uh, human being as men. And the second one, we also believe that women are the primary ruler on earth or Khalifa fill all. So women cannot be longer seen as the secondary ruler. Uh, in Islam, both men and women are primary ruler on earth. Starting from this, we believe that men are neither the single standard of women humanity, nor their justice. This means that we have to take women's experiences as human that men don't have into consideration in understanding Islam, especially these two experiences. One, bodily experiences because of the reproductive system. Women will experience five bodily experiences that men don't have menstruations in weeks and the impact of uh, this is other or painful pregnancy in months ninth months and then baby delivery in hours or days nifas in weeks or months and breastfeedings in years or two years and uh, their impact are kurhan hiring even wahnan ala wahnin or multiple painful and tiring. Let's compare with the role of women of men bodies in humans reproduction, which is only producing sperm in minutes, even seconds, and the impact is joy. So what we call maslaha in Islam. It cannot add any pain of women's bodily experiences. 
And the second one is women's social experiences because of the patriarchal system that value women lower than men. This cause women socially are in high risk to be treated unjustly based on gender, especially in these five forms. One, stigmatization, marginalization, subordinations, violence, and double burdens. Women's hakiki justice require to neither add the pain of women's bodily experiences nor contain or cause any form of uh, gender-based injustice against women, even when men will never feel this bodily and social pains. So men are no longer become the single standard of women's humanity and uh, women's justice. This is very important because since men don't experience uh, those kind of experiences, they don't know the pain. Since they don't know, they, they think that this kind of experiences don't exist. Meanwhile, we know that men are still dominating in the uh, disease, as the decision makers in marriage, family, society, state, even in the global uh, levels. So when they are dominating decision making places and they don't take this kind of experiences of women into consideration, we are uh, we cannot hope that the justice in the men's perspective that ignore the women's experiences will be the hakiki justice to women. Very uh, interesting how well you bring those experiences from the periphery and put it and centralize it within this context and I don't think this has been done before. This leads me to the second question to you Dr. Noor. How has this approach uh, been successfully adopted in activism around the Muslim uh, family law reform in Indonesia? Of course, this uh, this approach is not a single approach. This approach together with uh, other approaches like Mubadala, uh, done by Fakihuddin Abdul Qadir in Indonesia, and also Ma'ruf concept by Badria Fayumi, also from Indonesia, uh, and other approaches in Indonesia. We trying and, and use this uh, approach in Ministry of Religious Affairs National Training Module on Marriage Guidance for Prospective Brides and Grooms. So we have national training and use module that we build together the module and use this uh, approach. And the second one, we also use this approach to the concept of Maslaha family belongs to Nahdotul Ulama. This is the, the largest Islamic organization in Indonesia. They also will train the members in national level using this concept and this approach. Uh, so the concept of Maslaha family also use this approach. And this, the third one, this is also important. This approach also used as the advocacy for policymakers, especially through Indonesian Women's Ulama Congress fatwas. For example, the fatwa on the 
obligation of family, society, and state to protect children from marriage. This fatwa has been one of the legitimation to increase the minimum age of women and men from 16 years old for girls and 19 for boys to 19 years old for both. And also the fatwa on prohibition of sexual violence, uh, both inside and outside marriage, also has been used to advocate law of criminal act of sexual violence. This is uh, some impact of uh, our uh, fatwa uh, use the women's hakiki justice as one approach uh, uh, among other approaches. It's amazing to see that in, in Indonesia, they managed to reform the family law from within through an Islamic perspective lens. Dr. Umayma, going back to you, you speak about how the Quran's egalitarian ethics of marriage is formulated within three interconnected circles. What are those circles? Yes, this was part of uh, our methodology in approaching uh, particular uh, topics in the Quran. But the idea, the methodology is before you jump into the into whatever verse on uh, and, and treat it as a separate and isolated unit, you need the conceptual framework, and that is very important. So that's why we we thought or we devised of of these uh, interconnected circles or these concentric circles where you need these concepts before you enter the verse. The first circle, of course, is uh, the concepts of al-nafs al-wahida, al-zawjain. If people look at the first verse of, of Surah Al-Nisa, Al-Ulam in Surah Al-Nisa, it, it just gives you the map. It gives you that uh, first circle of basic ontological equality of humanity of human beings, of the two Zawjan, of the two pairs of human beings, and the the, the importance of, of, of taqwa as, you know, again, the ethical foundation that, I mean, if you look at that, this is the ethical foundation that is supposed to govern all our interpretations of all the ahkam, of all the rulings. So the first circle is the basic ontological quality and the matching pair is Zawjain. No, no hierarchy. I don't know where we got the, the, the idea of hierarchy or of uh, superiority, inferiority. No, basic equality, ontological equality and moral agency of both of men and women in vis-a-vis -vis God subhanahu wa ta'ala, their, their responsibility uh, and how they are matching pairs. So it's really important that you begin ad addressing uh, uh, gender or gender relations in marriage from that, from that in first conceptual inception, so to speak. The second one would be, of course, the al-mithaq al-ghaliz. People, again, don't take that very seriously. It's a solemn bond, right? that was used in the Quran to refer to the bond between the prophets and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how, how serious a commitment is that, right? It's not something to be taken into jest, but it's almost something that's ethical, that's moral, that's spiritual to be taken seriously. It's like having a solemn bond for both men and women with God subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? The third, and then we go into the specific ethical principles, also all Quranic principles. 
المعروف الإحسان المودة الرحمة of course that famous definition the famous foundational Quranic and Islamic definition of marriage people don't take seriously our whole project is please take these ethical principles seriously the uh, the mawadda the rahma you know the affection and the mercy al ma'ruf al ihsan most the, uh, the the occurrences of ma'ruf and ihsan these two uh, uh, values or two principles you will find them their most occurrences are in the verses uh, about marriage and its rulings or divorce and its rulings and and that that is something to think about yani god subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us something definitely about application yeah, the problem is people will talk about that but they don't apply it whether in inter- in the interpretation or of course in their conduct and that's part of the reform that you talked about uh, dr amal in 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 the personal status law and the family laws so these are the three main circles and then we go in the second part of the paper to specifics to the interpretation, right? Of interpretations of things like the dowry, the, the nafaqa, the maintenance, spousal relations, divorce, discord, qiwama, uh, ta'anu. These are all the specifics that people jump to right away. And we're asking them, please look at the ethics, look at these different levels and, and make that have a bearing, a very serious bearing on uh, on the verses the ayat beautiful yes what do you think the book will achieve and how can we capitalize on the knowledge in this book to achieve more yeah yeah th- this is <laughs> this is a very important and practical uh, question because we do want to move to the level of 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 activism of reform of actual reform in all our societies. This book, of course, this is the second sort of part of the project. Uh, Musawab began with the book on, on, on Qiwama, which was the big stumbling block. And and this is also very important. The reason we're, we're very we're all very happy with it because it this book provides alternatives because the, the criticism to feminists in general or particularly muslim feminists is that you're deconstructing you're uh, um, you're, you're pulling things down you're criticizing criticizing you're not providing alternatives no we are as you know we are providing new alternatives in perspectives the idea of dissemination translating this book there is an arabic translation by the way that is coming out uh, this next month and the launch so translating disseminating launching using it in activism as and, and training as dr noor was saying i mean you know it's a document that takes time but but you're right this is not purely an academic exercise no we want to have this as a document that we can use in in activism in reform in having dialogue with our religious institutions and religious ulama also who have who, who feel they have legitimacy and they do uh, but we want their uh, 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 help and their solidarity to help put all these interpretations into effect and reform. Dr. Noor, I'm going to ask you the same question. What would you hope this book achieves and how can we work further on disseminating this knowledge, uh, activating activism around the book? We believe that the root of injustice is not in reality, but in mind. 
our world view for example will give big impact to the reality including how we see women's humanity are we considering uh, women's experiences as human experiences or not will drive you to treat women in just or unjust ways and also what is important in mind is the knowledge system including islamic knowledge system if we see women as the source of fitna for example then it will give impact on the fatwa that you produce so this book i think help us to change our mindset how to see women as full human not only as sexual or physical human being but also intellectual and spiritual human being so don't see women as men sexual tools or men's reproductive machines because uh, we are full human has intellect and uh, also spirit. I think this book help us to also change our uh, Islamic knowledge starting from this awareness of uh, women's humanity. We want to translate this book into uh, different languages including Indonesians. So, it can be read by Indonesian scholars and give an alternative interpretation of Islam, especially in family and marriage issues that give uh, just justice not only for men but also for women uh, as a mother, as wife, daughters, and etc. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And I hope that also our collaboration on uh, Women of the Middle East podcast uh, contribute to doing that, shedding light on the Islamic feminist movement in general uh, and the production of this movement, one of which is this amazing, amazing book that would uh, definitely contribute to changing the mindset. Although we say changing mindset, uh, beliefs and social norms take some time, but I believe that with education, with raising awareness, people will start uh, listening to us. Uh, Dr. Umayma, Dr. North, thank you so much. It was lovely to have you on Women of the Middle East podcast. You're most having us. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode of season five. To stay up to date with Women of the Middle East podcast, you can subscribe and don't forget to rate us. If you would like to contact me directly, you can do so on Instagram or Twitter or via email. This is Women of the Middle East podcast.